Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into My W Sports Sports Monday, another great edition of a weekend sports. Here I am, Luis Sanchez. We're waiting for Kyle Westcott to join us in just a moment, but a lot to get to this week, um, a lot to just talk about. So excited to to get the show underway here today. Um, gonna get Kyle on the line in just a moment, so just bear with us for a second. And we have Kyle. All right, Kyle, how you doing, Kyle? It's been a it's been a fun week in sports. Good to have you joining us here on my W Sports Sports Sunday or Monday, I should say. Um, a lot to get to, Kyle. But but what's on your radar so far? Well, I just I'm so excited for the end of this uh, NCAA bracket. I think we've we've narrowed it down to the teams that uh, either should be here or the teams that have proven that they are worthy to be here. And I just think it's awesome that now we get to really see the the best of the best go head to head. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully maybe this could be about time that the, uh, the bell tolls and the Yukon street comes to an end. Well, and that's, that's something I really want to talk to you. And we'll get into that conversation uh, a little bit later, but we have U S women's hockey team on their boycott. We still haven't got updates here today, but there was a meeting earlier this afternoon or uh, around noon today with uh, USA hockey executives, still no word out. So seven hours later, uh, and we still have no word out from USA hockey on, on what's going to happen. And it looks like players are also being asked to stay quiet uh, about their conference call scheduled here for tonight. So we'll keep you updated here on my W sports on any breaking news that might happen, but we, have NCAA March Madness to get to, as Kyle alluded to, uh, WTA Tennis, uh, WTA Tennis, LPGA Tournaments this weekend, NCAA March Madness, uh, so much to get to this week, uh, and we also have a special guest joining us, or a couple uh, guests joining us for some football talk uh, later, later on this after, later on this evening. So Kyle, let's swing it over to you for the fun fact of the week. Sure, our fun fact of the week this week, speaking of WTA Tournaments, uh, back in 1973, Chris Everett started a streak that would run from August, 20, uh, August 12th of 1973 to May 12th of 1979, and that was 125 straight victories on the clay surface. During that time, she only won two French Open titles out of her seven. The other five came outside of this 125 streak. So pretty impressive run there for six years uh, for Chris Everett. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about what you've been able to do for the sport, and even now as a commentator for ESPN, do you think that helps as well to have a familiar face around the game? We see it all the time in, in professional sports, but especially for tennis where, where you know some of the greats are always around, Kyle? I think so. I think, you know, it, it kind of gives the the longevity of it. You know, you, you look at somebody like that and you say, oh, I remember when, you know, she was a dominant player, or I remember when, you know, she was – still playing if you're a younger uh, person like myself. I didn't see her during that streak, but I remember her in her later days. And, and even just that, you know, to see her still involved is pretty awesome for, for us old guys. And, and I can see, you know, the future where we'll be looking at current players, hopefully, that will continue that, that trend and will be announcing and giving their analysis on uh, sports in the, in the future for, for not only WTA, but, but for all sports. Absolutely, Kyle. So I'm going to let you take over uh, U.S. Women's Hockey. I'm going to set up one of our callers here, Kyle. Um, so why don't you give everybody the rundown on what's been happening so far? 
Sure. So, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, a couple minutes ago, there nothing has been released uh, as of right now today. Uh, but there was a meeting today uh, in hopes of maybe something uh, more happening and, and giving the the players the opportunity to actually go and defend um, the world championship for their country. Dating back to last Wednesday, USA Hockey, the the national team players, announced a boycott of this year's um, world championships, which is being held in Plymouth, Michigan. Uh, So just a a great thing for them to be able to uh, not only defend their title, but defend their title on home soil. And and they took a stand. And they took a stand um, that's called uh, Be Bold for Change. And, and it's a great thing that, that they have done here. And we've seen it in, in other uh, sports. We've seen soccer most recently uh, sort of put down their foot and say, you know what, uh, it's time that we get treated as equals. It's time that not only that they get paid equal, but that there is uh, the amount of publicity, the amount of marketing, uh, even the amount of games played prior to uh, the actual world championships or Olympics that the men get. And, and those aren't, it's not about greed. It's not about, um, you know, trying to, to do something that is uh, revolutionary. These are things that they should already be getting. This is a, a dominant team, uh, a team that, that is, if not the best in the world, the second best in the world every year, year in and year out. And yet they're, they're getting much less money than their male counterparts. They're getting, you know, a, a number of, you know, maybe eight games uh, leading up to a an Olympic or eight games leading up to a world championship where the, the men are getting upwards of 50. Um, you know, you're looking at marketing and, and um, different dollars spent. You know, it, it's it's outrageous, the, the difference there as well. Um, so there's been a, a lot of uh, meetings dating back all the way back to this has now actually been in the works for 18 months when – the U.S. national women's team kind of first let the the USA Hockey uh, Executive Board know that this may happen, that this is something that they were discussing, uh, that this is something that they they really felt needed to change. Uh, Nothing changed. And uh, two months ago, uh, another uh, message was sent to the U.S. Hockey Executive Board saying, you know, things – we have mentioned this for over a year now. Things have not changed. Um, you know, just giving them another opportunity to do something. I, I don't even know that at that point they really expected to boycott or, or needed, you know, all of their demands met, but but nothing had changed. Nothing had swung in, in the way of, of women in, in this sport. And and it's it's just it, it's it's horrifying what, what's happening. And so now um USA Hockey did counter. They did uh, give <laughs> some things in the way of, um, you know, leaning towards that that you know a little bit that way. But it was it was nothing that was ever um, relevant or anything that was substantive. So um, the players declined and continued with the uh, the boycott. Many times, uh, USA Hockey has now also uh, talked about exploring options of either taking on other uh, players from the NWHL or from uh, the college ranks or from the U18 team. And time and time again, all players, all women's hockey players are standing and saying, no, we, we are standing with the U.S. women's hockey team and, and we we are not going to play if, if they're not going to play. Um, and that's, it, it's, it's such an awesome time right now that we're able to see all players stand up for, for what is right and what they should be getting. And, um, you know, they, um, the, the U S women's national team is not just fighting this themselves. They are fighting them this as the NWHL. They are fighting this as U S women's hockey national team members at all levels, and they are fighting this as women, and that's that's a great thing right now. And Kyle, I think you know you, you really did a great job in, in wrapping that all up and putting it together. And I think you know when you think about the national team and its program, a 90-player-plus talent pool um, throughout the senior team and the youth programs, they've all said no. 
Division One players who weren't invited to camps or, or haven't been invited to camps over a number of years. Um, Division One through Division Three players, they've declined. And, and you also mentioned that U18 teams, AAU coaches, they've been reached out to by Megan Duggan and players of uh, this U.S. national team to say, hey, no, stand in solidarity, and they have. And I think that's one of the great things. And I want to bring in one of our guests here, uh, Oscar Lopez, who's the, the founder of Gridiron Beauty. Um, Oscar, we have a different scenario in football um, where it's a semi-pro league and there's no funding there. But keeping track of what's happened with the U.S. national team, what are your thoughts of, of the boycott and what USA Hockey should do in, in the next couple of hours or, or days to come? I think, you know, when you get – thanks for having me on the show. Um, really love the show, and uh, you guys do a great job. So, um, you know, f- first and foremost, I think Kyle hit it on the, uh, on the head there. Uh, this is really an absurd thing for the organization. Internationally, most of the organizations internationally support – their governing bodies support both men and uh, women's teams if you go overseas. And in the States, it becomes a situation where everybody has to be self-funded. And so when the governing body, as Kyle points out here, when the governing body doesn't want to, uh, you know, support the women on an equal front or equal level, uh, it really is a slap in the face uh, for women's sports. But ultimately, it's a black eye for them as an organization, given the fact that we've come a long way. In football, it's not so much uh, a prominent sport, but in hockey, it is a prominent sport, whether it be male or female. It is played internationally. It's been played for a long time in the Olympic status. So at this point, it's sort of ridiculous for them to not come up with a suitable budget or come to the table to sort of put together something of intangible to start with. And I, you know, I applaud the, the players first and foremost, and I think all of us applaud that because that is the right thing to do. The fact that uh, the organization is not uh, willing to come forward and make some accommodations uh, they're not asking for the pay. So for, for uh, first and foremost, from my understanding, they're really asking for accommodations, and accommodations obviously no different than the men's. Uh, there is always going to be an equal pay issue, and I think uh, that everybody understands because the popularity on the men's side is obviously a lot more than the women's side. But there, that also could be a medium or a starting point to build up to that level of equality. But in terms of facility, in terms of uh, everything else that's garnered with the men's program, the marketing and everything else, that also could be equal. And I think that's where they, I think they missed the boat. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Oscar. And I really appreciate that. And Kyle, I'll put this question on you. Oscar brought up the point of, of the governing bodies in the, in, in different sports supporting these athletics. And we've seen um, the U S Olympic committee basically hands down the, a similar award for both the men's and women's teams. Do you think it's interesting that they haven't come out with a comment on Sunday? I reached out to them um, for a comment and they declined. So just your thoughts on the U S Olympic committee, just staying quiet kind of throughout this whole thing. I mean, we've seen the uh, players associations from various leagues step up and, and make a comment. Um, so just your thoughts on that. Well, I, I don't know that they know what to say. I think that they're trying their best to to wait it out and hope that the women are gonna gonna still play and and you know kind of back off of this because you know I don't think that they've they've put in a good faith effort like like I mentioned you know with uh, giving a counter but a counter that wasn't even wasn't even the in the realm of of the, the players accepting it. I mean it wasn't it was ludicrous and. So I, I think that they're kind of just holding off and, and hoping that because it's the world championships in the U.S., because it's such a big stage, that, that the players are going to back off. And, and I, think that they're, I think they're betting wrong here. And, Oscar, I'll put this to you. If you're the US, USA Hockey and you've reached out to players and they've declined and you're well over a week uh, at this point since the players decided that they would boycott and less than a week away from the start of the world championships, you know, what's, what's the ideal move here? I really think you get to a level where you're not going to have a team because uh, to Kyle's point, all the players have put themselves in a solidarity state. So the reality is this, if they're not bringing anything to the table, it's not like the NFL with replacement players. You don't have, you know, women's hockey league players where you can just pull replacements from various, uh, you know, leagues and everything around the world. You don't, you don't have an NHL type of scope. And so I think that's where they're missing the boat. I think they're in their benefit. It should 
benefit them to come to the table with some accommodations. Like I said, the pay scale, from my understanding, from some of the players that I've you know, uh, read over t- uh, tweets and also from some of their statements is they're not really looking for the pay scale at this point. They're really looking for the amenities and the equality in the amenities, which is the training, the same way the, the men's are supported, the travel, the same way the men's are supported, uh, you know, the, the, all that that's afforded to the men's side of things. They understand. I think, you know, the women obviously are smart. They understand they're, they're not going to be at a level of equal pay yet in terms of, you know, being paid at the same level as men. But, you know, it should be equal in terms of training facilities, amenities, and travel expenses. That should be equal, and I do agree with that. I think that's where the starting point should be. And then we build up to the next level, which is obviously uh, the pay scale. If they bring in fanfare, if they, you know, finish second once again, or they win the gold, as an example, or the championship, then at that point the conversation no different than U.S. soccer with the U.S. soccer women, where, you know, the statement was made they're obviously superior in their sport doesn't matter if it's you know a gender issue at this point that's not even an, a gender issue it's, it's basically a result issue the result is they win the the championship they deserve to be uh given that uh, aspect of it um we had the same thing i think a while back with the australian team as well so it's not just the u.s governing body but internationally as well there are some governing bodies that need to kind of look at themselves and say we need to come to this new uh, acceptance that we need to treat uh, the male side of the sport as well as the female side of sport equally. And, and you brought up a really great point there, and I think this is something that gets lost in the national media, is that this isn't just about equal pay for equal play uh, like the U.S. soccer team. This is about equitable uh, arrangements for, for the national team, and I, I completely agree with you. I think that that's something, that's, that's something that should have been done a long time ago, and, and thinking that you know it's 2017 um, and we're still battling for equal treatment of our athletes is an incredible thing to think about. I think the and budget- Kyle, I'll put this... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead yeah, I think the budgeting. Yeah, I think the budgeting issue is really there. I mean, when you run a business, I run a business. Okay, at some point down the road, in order for you to, uh, you know, be profitable, obviously there's got to be sponsors and stuff like that. The I think the effort for sponsorship on the women's side has not been as aggressive as it is on the men's side because on the men's side it is taken for granted that you're going to get the sponsors, where on the women's side. I think the governing body, in my point of view, is not willing to do the legwork, you know what I mean, to get the sponsors uh, yeah. for the women and, and contribute that way. So, you know, uh, if you don't have that, then at some point, why don't uh, – it's the same uh, conversation I've had before. Why don't we have uh, women's tackle football in Division One colleges? Why don't we have it? Because we don't, we don't have it because it's not promoted, number one, not accepted because it's a male-dominated sport, and number, number three, sponsors are not going to go for that. So, you know, there, there are obviously barriers there. But in, in hockey, like I said, internationally, it's well-known. And we've had women's hockey for a long time. So there should be no, no, different, no question why they can't come to the table with some uh, solid amenities and then at that point talk about some equal pay within, a, a, you know, a closer scale. Absolutely. And Kyle, I'll, I'll jump over to you. Just your thoughts before we wrap this up. And, and also just this question, does, is the next step for USA women's national team the same as the U.S. soccer team where they go to the EEOC and file a complaint? I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I think that when this doesn't get resolved and they sit out, you know, I I, I really cringe to think that, that U.S. Um, you know the U.S. Hockey Board is going to just allow them to to not play and just just let this tournament, this World Championship, on U.S. soil, which could affect whether they're able to play in the Olympics or not as well. Um, you know, I, I would cringe to think that they're going to let that opportunity slide um, and really really hurt the game for years to come. Um, but yeah, I guess that might be another opportunity for. Uh, the team and the members of of the the U.S. national team to to have one more step of uh, one more step in their in their army, you know, to to give something else to that to try to keep something for themselves. And and again, back to Oscar's point too, you know, it's 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 not about a ton of money. It's not about um, you know the the pay gap. It's it's mostly about the marketing. It's about getting. Um, you know the name out there, the sponsorship deals that they need, and and I just don't think that they care to go out there and 
and try to bring in these sponsors. You know, we, we have to think in 2017 about what sponsors we're going to go out and get. And sure, you know, Nike is already easy to get. Under Armour's out there easy to get. Uh, Budweiser is out there easy to get. But you know what? With women's sports, maybe we need to think differently and, and go out and get some sponsors that, that haven't been tapped into yet. And do a little different, you know, do something a little different. I mean, um, I forget, um, you know, I, I hate to do this, but I forget which athlete did it but or said it. Um, but she said, you know, there's, there's no male athletes out there promoting uh, Venus razors or stuff like that. Um, and I think that's, that's another unique way to kind of look at advertisement as advertising and sponsorships is um, catering to certain markets and, and certain demographics. And I think that will also help. And, you know, going, going off of that, you know, that, that point, USA Hockey just came off of a extended partnership with Toyota uh, right before this boycott was announced, and it's interesting to see that corporate sponsors haven't also made a statement or um, or have you know uh, picked a side, I guess, in this battle. But also of note, 14 U.S. senators wrote uh, to Dave Orgeron, the the president of USA Hockey, um, to file you know some support for women's uh, for the women's national team. Uh, and it's 7:21 here on the East Coast on Monday, and we still have no updates from you. USA Hockey on uh, the upcoming um, boycott of the World Championships. So we'll keep you updated, as I mentioned, throughout the show and on MyWSports.com. So follow us on social media or go look at the website, MyWSports.com. Let's move on from hockey to some basketball, some March Madness. Um, Kyle, I know you're really excited about this. And Oscar, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited to get your, your thoughts on, on the NCAA March Madness going on right now as well. But Kyle, Let's start with the two regions that have already gotten underway, and we have teams in the Frozen Four, excuse me, the Final Four, uh, missing hockey a little bit here. Uh, so let's start with the Notre Dame region. Yeah, let's not make it too chilly. I mean, I think that there could be something coming very soon that, that we may be talking about something freezing over, but uh, but let's start with the, the hot action in in, uh, in Lexington. Um you know, I really, if you miss this game, the Stanford-Notre Dame game, uh, you know, find it on YouTube. Find a, a way that they're replaying it. This was an amazing game. Um, you know, I really thought that Notre Dame, you know, even though they had uh, lost, you know, a huge player, uh, even though they had battled uh, just previously through a, a very tough uh, Ohio State team, um, I really thought that they had an opportunity here to to uh, move on into the Final Four and and even during the game, you know, I got down to the, the final minutes and I thought, okay, Notre Dame is going to just turn it on right now. They're going to hang on to this. And instead it was Stanford that flipped the tables and came storming from behind and, and just had an unbelievable game, ended up winning 77, 76-75. Um, and so the Stanford Cardinal are going to head on to the final four. Yeah, Kyle, I mean – Talk about incredible game. When you see this matchup uh, between Stanford and Notre Dame, you think, wow, two great powerhouses. And, and for me, it was defense. You know, this was a really good defensive game, seven blocks uh, for Stanford in that, in that regional final. And, and Erica McCall had the biggest one to end, uh, end the game on a block uh, for Stanford. McPhee had 27 points. Kyle, she made five three-pointers, and she was lights out. Um, but when you're looking at this Stanford team, do you think that they, they can make a run to the final and win the championship this year? Um, well, I mean, the good news is that they are on the other side of the bracket from UConn. So could they make the run? Yeah, I, I think maybe. Um, you know, I don't want to say they have the, the easier way, but I would say that they have the easier way. Um, and, you know, I mean, the way that they're playing right now, they're healthy, they're um, you know, they're battling against tough teams. I mean, we talked a lot about Texas this year as well, and uh, they knocked off Texas in, in the round of 16, and then to beat uh, Notre Dame is a huge matchup as well. So, um, yeah, I would say Stanford ha still has the opportunity. All right, all right. And, and Oscar, I'll bring you in. Are you? Do you have any allegiances in this tournament? Well, of course, UCLA, but – where am I at now? <laughs> that's that's a good like a, point. Not a happy we'll, we'll guy, not a happy guy, but you know, Stanford of North Bay Area, um, you know, I got I got to support the Bay Area. That's where I'm at now. So, uh, I'm either California right. loyalty, as they say. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, so we have Stanford in one region. Another region was decided last night as well. And Kyle, this was. 
what a game and what a story for one of these players, and we'll get to her in just a moment. But first, it's Baylor defeating Louisville in a blowout, and this was a rematch of two previous NCAA Sweet 16 tournaments, the only two meetings between these two programs in their history, where Louisville won, and the last time they played, it was Shoney Schimmel going against Brittany Griner uh, in an epic matchup that ended in the 82-81 victory for Louisville. This time, it's the Bears that get the better half of the Cardinals, 97-63. Kyle, I mean, were you surprised? I was. I was. This one, I mean, again, we've talked about Mississippi State, and we've said, you know, watch out for Mississippi State. They're a team that could get there. But, but when you see them going up against Baylor, and you see a Baylor team that's put up ridiculous amounts of points already in this in this tournament, 97 against Louisville and 100, what was it, 110 another day? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, yep. they were putting up ridiculous numbers, and I thought for sure, again, okay, that's that's great. Mississippi State had a great run, but now you face Baylor, you know, that's a tough one to run into. And, you know, they have done a great job of just shutting teams down, and they did the same thing against Kelsey Plum in Washington, and they did the same thing against Baylor. They just slowed them down enough that they stay in the game, they get to the end of the game, and they're they're able to just be clutch in the last couple of minutes and, and pull out these victories. And, Kyle, in the final, in that regional final between Mississippi State and Baylor, you know, it goes into overtime. Mississippi State outscores Baylor 19-10 to 10 in overtime. A big part of that was Morgan Williams. Um, she scores 41 points, 6 of 8 from 3-point field goal, and this all comes a year and a day after the passing of her stepfather, and she was really emotional in the post-game interview talking about what it meant, and, she, you know, she, 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 all she could basically muster out was this was for him. Um, what are your thoughts about her performance? I mean, it's one of the probably top 10 performances we've seen in NCAA tournament history. Talk about Talk about a team, you know, talk about – the the coach here in in that post game, um, you know, just just exuding such pride for his players, um, and and especially Morgan Williams, and to you know, like you said, for her to break down and and to feel like you know what I did something amazing, and you know she was just so overcome with emotions. It was just such an awesome thing, and and he just said, you know, I'm. I'm proud for her. I'm proud of, of this entire team and, and all of the players, you know, that, that came together for that win. Yes. You know, William had a great, uh, had a great game, um, but it wasn't just her in the end. It was a complete team effort. And, and we don't know, you know, a ton of Mississippi state names. So we're not talking about, you know, that many as uh, you know, the top tier, the top, uh, All-American, you know, first team, second team, third team, but as a team, they are they are solid. Yeah, I think she scored three, uh, excuse me, 11 points in her first three games in the NCAA tournament and then went off for 41. Oscar, I'll bring you in here real quick. Um, any any performance this reminds you of, of uh, any athletes that either had to deal or, or went through something? Um, and they I had, mean, every uh, year, I think we love – I think we love March Madness every year because there's always something that comes out into interesting story. For me, it's always the overcoming of some sort uh, of emotion, something outside of the, of the realm of the court. I think that to me, it's always the best story. Not so much, you know, the last, you know, the effort of a team or whatever, but somebody that overcomes something, it's always uh, best for me, especially when it, it, it's in women's sports. Uh, I don't think UConn gets the deserving nod, that it normally should get because it's, I guess, because it's women's sports, but, you know, as impressive as a record has been, I think you have opportunity now where there's two other teams that can knock them out. And I think that's where everybody's really excited about the fact that maybe somebody will knock out the big dog. Absolutely. And speaking about that, we go right into two, uh, two opportunities tonight to get a ticket into the final four. Let's go to that South Carolina region, Kyle. We have number one South Carolina versus Florida State. Uh, the Gamecocks defeated the, the Cinderella story of the tournament, Quinnipiac, in a 100-58 to 58, uh, blowout. But that game really not close after the first quarter. A slow start by the Bobcats kind of played them throughout the rest of the game. And then Florida State, they defeat Oregon State, a final four team from a year ago. Now we have number one versus number three. What are your thoughts on this matchup? I mean, you know, I said last week I really like South Carolina. Um, yeah, I know that they, they've been riddled with injuries as well. 
But what we've seen is instead of, you know, having that superstar that you have to go to all the time, instead of having to run the offense through her, you know, it seems like in the last couple of games that they've been playing even better. And again, just like I said with Mississippi State, maybe that's that idea of, you know, this is the team, this is the family, this is the, you know, we're going to do it with this group of girls. And even though they lost one, you know, next man up, let's see who it is, you know, and, and uh, I really still like South Carolina. So the Gamecocks. Okay, all right. Um, all right, and let's go to that UConn region where they did defeat uh, our boy Oscars uh, UCLA team, 86-71, to move into the regional final. And then number 10, Oregon. I don't think a lot of people had this one on their upset bracket. Uh, number 10, Oregon defeats number 3, Maryland, in a shocker, 77-63. to Now we have number 1, UConn, versus number 10, Oregon. Cal, do you give this, this Ducks team any fighting chance here tonight? Unfortunately, right now I'm I'm already looking at uh, eight minutes to go in the second quarter with a 30 to 17 lead for UConn. Uh, jumped out to a 22 to four lead. Um, you know, I think UConn, I think Oregon, I mean, has has just finally met its match. You know, this is a team that um, you know defeated a Duke team uh, that that should be facing UConn right now. Then they knocked off a Maryland team who should be facing UConn right now. Um, so they've had a great run, but unfortunately, I think I think tonight's the night, unfortunately, for the Ducks. So the clock strikes midnight here tonight for the Oregon Ducks, and that'll wrap it up here for our NCAA March Madness uh, wrap-up. You can join us this week for coverage of the Final Four. We'll give you updates here tonight as teams advance into uh, the Final Four. But again, follow MyW Sports on social media for updates uh, and previews for the upcoming matchups this upcoming weekend. Now, for our, our specific topic here tonight, we've got a couple of guests. Oscar, obviously, has joined us early. Uh, and we'll now bring in Mark Simon backseat coach, uh, contributor for women's tackle football. And we'll move on to our women's tackle football now that we are less than a week away from the season start starting in the IWFL, WFA, and USWFL, a lot of leagues to get to here today. So first, let's do some introductions. Oscar, you've, uh, you've had some time to speak, so we'll get to you in just a moment. But let's bring in Mark. Mark, tell everybody what you do, uh, what is Backseat Coach, and, uh, well, first of all, thanks for, thanks for joining us here this, uh, this evening. Thank you very much for having me, Lewis. And uh, I've met Kyle, and I've, I've been a guest on uh, Oscar's Gridiron Blitz. Uh, so hello to both of you. Um, I, How you doing back I'm you a fan. Very, very good. Very good. good. I, I, I'm a fan of the game, and um, I do what I, I can to just promote the game um, on a volunteer basis. I don't you know, operate a, a business, but uh, I just try and keep on top of the game and share information because I think it's a really uh, great game that more and more people should know about. So obviously I appreciate um, your effort at my W sports and uh, of course Oscars with gridiron beauties to put women's tackle football in front of uh, more uh, sports fans, specifically women's sports fans who surprisingly sometimes don't know that this sport exists. <laughs> exactly. And Oscar, I'll bring it over to you to do your little introduction as well. And um, again, I just want to thank you as well for taking time out to join us this evening. Yeah, uh, we started the uh, the project, the No Joke Football Project, uh, but uh, we're going on eight years now. And we started on Twitter, and then we went on Facebook. And so uh, our number one goal was to try to get the awareness for the sport. And so I realized at the time I was a guest on DJ Coletta's show, and she introduced me to the sport. And at that point, I, I understood all the passionate effort that it takes for these uh, girls and women to participate, and then the uh, the amount of money it takes for them to obviously operate uh, on their uh, with themselves, and so we decided that uh, we needed some sort of platform. So, being the you know the geek that I am, I said, you know what, we got together with a couple of people and said, let's launch this, let's get it going, and we need to come up with a slogan or a hashtag. So we came up with the hashtag of No Joke Football because that's what it is. It's if you go watch it, it's no different than the NFL. You got some high caliber teams like you have this year in the WFA, which is probably the most exciting season since I've been covering it. And so we're we're looking forward to an amazing season. You also have overseas players that have infiltrated or in, invaded, if you want to call it, the WFA uh, in this season from Australia and other uh, other countries. 
So it's going to be very exciting to keep tabs on them. And so we cover everything. We network. We build our network to the point where now we cover uh, women's tackle football globally on, on every continent. And so we're very, very proud of that. That's really awesome. And, um, again, congratulations to both of you and really awesome that you, for your contributions to uh, to promoting women's sports, especially uh, women's tackle football. I mean, you know, when I got into this, I, I had no idea, um, and me just being a, a naive teenager growing up in, this, in, in the city, I just, you know, the only women's tackle football league that I knew of was the Ladies Lingerie, and I think now it's called the Legends Football League. So for people who are like me when I was growing up who don't know of these leagues, um, can you just give us a breakdown? And I'll, I'll go with you, Mark, first, and then Oscar, you could jump in. You just give us a breakdown of what got you into it. What Was it a game? Was it a person, uh, a team? What, what first got you into saying, hey, this is, this is cool. Let me go check it out. Uh, well, like you, uh, you know, when my first exposure to, you know, women's football was um, hearing about the LFL, which didn't particularly – interest me i'm more of a traditional football fan and um but the way i i learned about the wfa and the iwfl and all these uh national leagues um, was through a friend of mine who was recruited to play for a tackle team out of playing flag football there's a very big uh women's flag football league here in boston um and obviously the tackle team will try and recruit players from the flag league uh, so my friend uh, tried out for the team and made it. This was in 2008, and so I, I went to her first game. It was the Boston Militia versus the D.C. Divas, and um, I didn't know it at the time, but this was a very big kind of uh, rivalry matchup, um, and uh, it was a well-played game. It was close, and Boston won, and I was hooked because it was excellent football. And so, you know, nine years later, here I am still following the game, um, updating my Facebook page and my Twitter feed with as much information as I, I can, not only about my favorite team, Boston, but um, teams across the country. Um, that's how I got into the, the game, so to speak. And go ahead, Oscar. Yeah, we, uh, we started on a Facebook page with the same uh, – Thing that you did, Louis, which is introduce ourselves to the Lingerie Football League. Initially, it was covering the Lingerie Football League on Facebook. Then when I got exposed to the sport through, I said, being a guest on BJ Coletta's show, Women's Football Talk, from then I sort of branched out and started covering uh, women's traditional NFL style. And so it became a, a, a passion of mine and a couple of our buddies here together, and we said, hey, let's, let's go ahead and launch this fully, and let's get this on a social media platform to get the word out. So our focus really uh, for our platform is to present on our Twitter feed, on our Facebook, on our Instagrams, and all our social media is to present an NFL-style coverage. So we're not going to cover every team, but we are going to cover the elite of the elite, whether it be in the U.S., whether it be in, North, uh, in, in Europe, whether it be in Australia. And we want to basically, with the project, is expose the, uh, the athletes that are elite caliber level at any position, whether it be uh, the offensive line, defensive line, running back, quarterbacks, you name it. So we're trying to do that in a visual sense on Instagram. We're trying to do that on a a news feed on Twitter, and we try to do that on a weekly basis on Facebook as more of an ESPN-style coverage where fans can dive in and understand that women's women's football exists, it is global, and that obviously it is played at a high level, and that's really our message. And Oscar, I guess I'll start with you first, and then and then Mark, you can follow up too. You know, we're looking at now over a hundred uh, teams uh, of some sort of football, whether you know whichever league we're talking about, from the IWFL to the WFA to the USWFL, even to the Legends League, over one hundred uh, football teams out there, and we've seen such growth, and and actually we've seen a lot of growth. Just in the last couple of years, you know, we weren't talking about 100 a couple of years ago. We were talking around 70. And and first, what is the what is the um, the catch that people have really latched on to, and and how has this grown so fast? And two, what else needs to be done to make sure that 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 uh, exposure then also goes mainstream? Well, I mean, I, I think uh, the WFA has made a big statement. 
I've been covering them for the last, you know, five years or so. This year alone, Ed has made a big statement. A lot of the owners have decided, because of the cost of travel, have decided to uh, go with the league that obviously affords them a less travel cost. So that's more uh, more effective for them to stay in business because it is a business for them. And so I think they've made a choice that way. Where the IWFL has kind of, I think, lost its uh, stronghold, which it had for a couple years. But I, the WFA affords ownership now in major markets, equal, you know, equal to the NFL in Chicago and New York and D.C. and uh, Dallas and San Diego and Seattle, et cetera. So those markets are available now. And so to get to the next level from a recreational status that it is now to a professional status, um, they've stood out. And I think that's you saw this this year where a lot of the teams have gone to the WFA. That's why their growth is almost 67 teams, I think, this year which is an amazing feat for them. Uh, the, um, you know, the owners there have done a great job of pitching it, and obviously this is the better league. You have players, like I said, from overseas coming to participate in certain elite teams, like in, in Chicago and uh, in Boston and in Washington as well. So um, the sport has potential. And now that you have uh, Sam Rappaport, uh, who branched from USA football to the NFL level, you have Katie Sowers in, in Atlanta, um, you have Jen Wilker, which we've known for a long time. So we have three uh, prominent uh, women that are now involved exclusively with NFL executives. And hopefully the next level is to have maybe an NFL Europa backing and introduce women's football like they've done in NFL Europe. And I think it can happen if, if, with the right people in place and, and explaining to them what value the sport has. And I think it will happen. Hi, this is Mark. Um, I I definitely see, my takeaway from the from the growth of the game of the even just the last few years really is that uh, my feeling is that it's been driven by the players. Okay, more and more women want to play football, and more and more women are discovering that they can do that. Now they can't do this, you know, as easily in when they're in school. But post-high school, post-college, women's football is an option for a lot of women, and they're, they're taking to it. Um, also, you know, you mentioned Jen Welter and Katie Sowers. Uh, uh, players and former players are, ma- are making their mark, and that brings a, a big spotlight on, onto the game um, to the people who – can make a difference that you know NFL executives I, I think uh, the women's um, game has become more and more connected now with the men's game at this very high level at, uh, um, with USA football which is the governing body of, of football in the United States and with you know the NFL the men's professional league those are really really big things uh, really huge steps forward in the right direction and but it couldn't have happened without without the players really so that's my big takeaway it it really all comes down I agree. to participation yeah. absolutely and, and, and you guys and, go ahead Oscar yeah, and, and it certainly has to have support from within right i mean it, there has to be um the the love and the desire of it so that it it flourishes from within but then how do you then – and I guess, Mark, I'll go to you on this one. How do you then get it out to the mainstream? How do you then take it from you know, a, a bunch of players that love playing to something that more people know about and more people want to go see? Right. Well, have, having leaders um, that can propel the image of the game forward is, is important. And I think we, I think we – have some of that as, as you know, Oscar and, and I've said about uh, Jen Welter and, and Katie Sowers. You can put a face, uh, there's a face and a personality um, that can represent the game. And um, I certainly know that uh, I've discussed this with Oscar many times in, in uh, his panel, so I know he has um, um, a lot of um, discussions to draw from on how best to do that, Oscar. Yeah, and I think, you know, the reality is uh, once we get our foot in and the players have done that, the respect is going to be there. The, the, on the flip side is the coaching. 
once the women get into the coaching realm, which uh, uh, Katie's in scouting, Jen obviously coached in Arizona for a short ter- period of time. Now she's going to be the main coach for the Australian uh, women's uh, championship that's, uh, that's going to represent in the world uh, championships in Canada. Um, you get a situation where Sam now has put together the women's football games for four of those already. So there is any, sort of a, a statement being happening there. And then she's obviously involved with the inner, inner circles of the NFL with the USA football end of things where she can actually benefit ultimately. So it, it's taken to uh, backseat coach's point, it's taken the players to infiltrate the NFL to change the mindset of the executives. Uh, I don't think we're fully there yet, but the acceptance of a women's, uh, you know, knowledgeable woman that understands football, I think it's start to, starting to build. And if it starts at an executive level with, with internally with each NFL team, then at that point it's, it's a really, really good starting point. Uh, you know, we're still far from them, like I said, putting together maybe an NFL Europa. I, I really applaud the WFA for making strides now. They're, they're being more effective on social media. They're putting out more things in terms of storylines. They're also updating a lot more in terms of their website. Their website's more professional now. You can actually see things more professional. You can go to it. It's, it's more of an NFL-style website, uh, so I applaud them for doing that. And those things will make changes, uh, as well as our platform, as well as Black Sea Coach, diehard fans like ourselves, you know, spreading the word out and making, uh, making people aware that obviously it exists and it could be played at a high level. Uh, a lot of the players are going to be retiring here soon, probably within the next couple you know, years, uh, that are the name faces of the league right now, and we have new players coming on, but the old players are now being uh, uh, basically pioneers, uh, more so now than any any other time. I know there's been pioneers in the past, but more so now because there's a foot in the NFL uh, executive realm. I, I certainly agree. I, I certainly agree with you uh, as, as far as having uh, some of uh, the the veterans who are who are pioneers, um, perhaps might be playing a bigger role in in the the, the larger promotion of the league, um, as you mentioned, you know the WFA is, is doing um, is making great improvements with their web presence and their presence on social media. Um, we have some really fantastic players whose history cannot be overlooked. Last year, uh, last season, Allison Cahill became the first quarterback to win 100 games. Uh, career victories uh, playing exclusively women's football. And this year there are going to be a few more quarterbacks who are going to reach that milestone. I'm quite confident. Um, So we need to, we need to use things like that to sort of create momentum. Uh, I mean, these are things that are really, uh, that are interesting, I think, to, to just sports fans, you know, these are new milestones that, that are being set. And new records that are are, are happening. So, um, for other sports geeks, and there's plenty of them out there, this game is really rich with with uh, lots of um, new milestones and, and new records. And this season, in particular, I think is is very exciting because of the momentum that has been built um, with the NFL and um, with USA Football. There's going to be a lot more focus now on the league and how effective um, they are doing their, their job really. Um, And so if we have a very good season, um, we can, we can probably just keep pushing that envelope further, getting, you know, and the ESPN, the ESPN three platform is a starting point. I think they need to keep that up. Once they, uh, people realize the platform uh, they're able to, you know, watch it on YouTube I mean, the last two championship games have been exceptional. So if they can just keep that up at the end, uh, that would draw attention as well. And I guess just to, just to jump on that point, you guys mentioned pioneers and, and improving the game. And, uh, and Mark, you mentioned uh, some of the milestones from last season. So going into the 2007 year, um, Oscar, I'll start with you. What are some storylines that, that fans and the media especially should be looking out for to help promote this league and to, to go out to a game and watch um, one of these accomplishments happen? Yeah, I mean, uh, just on the East Coast alone, I've always been a proponent of the East Coast swing. Uh, a lot of West Coast uh, players have criticized me because, you know, I, I take the East Coast more to heart. 
I really think that is the heartbeat of the league, the East Coast. You have the Divas, you have the Passion, you have the Renegades, you have the Force. Um, you know, there, a lot of infusion this year with some I, IWFL teams, the, the Sharks, the Vixen. Um, there's a lot of storylines that happen there. But overall, uh, um, to backseat uh, coach's point, we have talented athletes in the, in, in the East Coast. We have, you know, uh, Lisa Horton in Pittsburgh. We have Allie Hamlin. We have Congetta Grisby. I mean, there's a lot of good, solid players. Cahill, uh, you got Smith. Um, you also have Janet Gray, who's about to retire in Chicago. Um, but the storylines are there if we create them, and that's what we try to do on our platform is, you know, we don't want to cover every team. I've been criticized for, okay, well, you don't want to promote my team. No, I, I don't want to promote your team. I want to promote the elite teams, the elite teams, and then we need to start promoting the elite players. You know, the O.J. Jenkins, the Ali Hamlins, the Adrian Smiths, you know, et cetera. Those are the players that we need to put, a, you know, the fans to understand who they are so they can come watch them, have interest to go watch. And the ticket price is not the issue. Like I tell people, it is taking the fan to the stand is the attitude that we need to have in women's football, taking the fan to the stand. The tickets are not the issue. It's bringing the fan to the stand. And then they realize that this is high caliber football. And at that point they're drawn to it. And that's our main goal. Like I said, that's our platform. That's what we want to put together. We've done it internationally and it's worked. We've put together a lot of networking with international uh, leagues and it's working there as well. So, you know, the birth of football is here. And uh, so, you know, the WFA has a lot of work to do still, but I think they're going on the right foot with the tier system uh, that they put in place this year and last year. Uh, we just need to put a, you know, some faces out there. And with your platform, Backseat Coach, myself, I think at some point we make storylines and we make good storylines about certain individuals with my, my milestones, number one, but, you know, prominent teams. We can do an NFL-style coverage, and then it, it'll draw attention to people. Absolutely. And Mark, I'll ask you the same question when you're thinking about all these amazing things. And you mentioned some of the players as well as as Oscar. Uh, you know, we've had Colette Smith on here who used to play for the Sharks and now is a coach. And uh, she does a lot for her, her team specifically, um, knowing that that team's made the jump over from the IWFL and you have this new league in the U.S. WFL. Um, it obviously seems that the WFA is the premier league. So if you're if you're talking about um, one big one big storyline, one big thing to look forward to in the 2017 season. Mark, what's what is that? Well, I I, I do want to at this point say that I think that what the U.S. WFL has done in the off season is remarkable and impressive, and I look forward to uh, following them this season. They've they've added teams. They've got a solid roundup of about uh, 15, 16 teams now which is good for the level at their at their they focus on small market teams um but i, I mean i think the i mean i think the, the obvious storyline of of 2017 really is um can the dc divas repeat and you know what what will they have to do to you know stop boston who looked like they could give them a run for their their money last year un- until uh, Allison Cahill injured uh, her shoulder um, and also coming back um, out of uh, retirement or dormancy of some sort, uh, if you will, uh, Sammy Grisafi and uh, Jessica Javlett, who were the co-MVPs of the 2013 uh, championship for the Chicago Force. They're coming back this year. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be it's going to be murderer's row in, in the East uh, with, with Boston, D.C., and Chicago, you know, as That's usual. That's why I love the East and Coast. There you go. There you go. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the year of, of big returns, you know. Yep. It, um, Allison Cahill coming back from her injury, uh, Grisafi and Javlet returning to Chicago to try and get another championship for, uh, for um, them. Uh, the San Diego Surge is back after a year's hiatus. Um, you know, can and you also have Australian Australian imports uh, in Seattle. You have Australian imports in Chicago. There's a bunch of imports that are coming from overseas that we haven't even mentioned, but they will be mentioned because they're very talented. It'll be interesting to see how they they impact the, the competitiveness of of these of the teams yep. that they join. 
And, and just to follow up, Oscar, I, I was that was going to be my next question is, you know, do you see the Divas uh, three-peating or is or or who is your prediction for for not only the WFA but but for all the leagues if you have them? Who would be your predictions to win it this year? And and Mark, I'll ask you the same afterwards. Yeah, I'm, I'm I don't follow the USWFL as closely as I uh, I'm starting to follow it this year and to. Uh, Backseat coaches point a very impressive, um, you know, league that's been put together with the small market mentality, which I think is you have to applaud the uh, ownership or the organization there. The IWFL has dropped off for me. Not that I won't follow it, but I will follow it. Uh, Utah is probably the only thing that stands out in the IWFL right now that I would have to pencil in as maybe the championship winners. Uh, in the WFA, uh, San Diego being back, uh, the elite being the elite. Um, I, you know, I want to say. Dallas will eventually take it this year. I really do. Uh, I just think the hurdle for the Divas is going to be very tough, especially with the additions of new teams from the IWFL. Um, division Division Two, Tier Two is going to be very exciting. Uh, division One is going to be a lot more exciting. Uh, so my prediction is, I don't think they get the three peat. Uh, I really think that maybe Dallas steps up, even Boston might step up. Uh, Cahill stays healthy. That's that's a, always a bonus there. Um, Grisafi back, always a threat. So it's not going to be an easy road. And then you also have Horton and Pittsburgh. So the challenges for D.C. are going to be a lot tougher than they were last year, given the fact that, like I said, the invasion of new clubs coming in, it's going to be a tougher road for sure. And Mark? I absolutely agree, I absolutely agree with, with that assessment. Uh, whoever comes out of the East in the, uh, the top tier of the WFA is, is going to have earned it in blood. <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I also think that Dallas will probably return to the championship game um, because I'm a Boston fan and I'm a homer and I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm going to say <laughs> Boston's going to championship. Um, I think I think the the tier two in the WFA, uh, like last year, is very intriguing. And um, you know, St. Louis um, won the tier two championship. I still think that they're the team to beat. Um, despite the influx of a lot of teams from the IWFL who are now seated in, in tier two. Um, I ex- also expect, um, I expect Philadelphia, Philadelphia Phantoms. This was my kind of my dark horse pick. They, they got to the um, national conference championship, but lost out to Tampa Bay last year, but I think they're going to advance to the championship and uh, meet St. Louis there. Um, in the IWFL, as you said, um, Utah, the Utah Falcons is by far the superior team in the league. Um, no one's going to stop them. It would be, it would be shocking. Uh, I think in the uh, USWFL, um, I, would, I would take the Washington Prodigy. Uh, they, came, they came to the USFL, uh, USWFL from the IWFL uh, in this, this offseason. I think organizationally, they are, are very sound, and um, I like their I like their chances to come out of the, the only the only division. The only team out of the USWFL that I could probably take would be the Wildcats out of Houston uh, with Laura yep. Cantu. But uh, other than that, I think that's probably a, a good a good uh, you know another team, which would be Washington. Yeah, that's that's exactly yeah, what I was thinking. Be... Houston had a good run last year and, and Washington also had some, some glimmers of hope on defense last year. So uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mark, go ahead. Oh, no, that's fine. I, I think that might be make for a very good uh, championship matchup. Uh, oh, yeah. Washington prodigy versus the uh, Houston Wildcats. We love our bold predictions here. So, I mean, um, I think, I think a lot of us agree that the Falcons are going to be tough to stop in the IWFL. Um, and I, I think Mark, you hit it right on. I think coming out of the East is going to be very difficult, and and that could be the opportunity that the elite need to to jump on a team that is, um, you know, either battle bruised or or certainly broken of spirit as they get into that that championship game. Um, and I agree. I I, I forget who said, Oscar. I think it was you, right? The Washington Prodigy. They're a team that were right there uh, the last couple of years in, in their previous league, and now uh, they move into a, a smaller market group where, you know, you look at some of these teams and, and some 
you know, have, have babbled in, in other leagues. And, you know, I looked at the Fayetteville, Fayetteville Fierce as, as one, you know, but they were just getting trounced uh, in most games. So it's, uh, I think it could be a, a good year for the Prodigy as well. Looking forward yeah, to the Vixen, I think, more, more so than anything, see if they see how they stand out, especially after going to the final last year in the IWFL. We'll see how well the Vixen, um, you know, simulate into the WFA. But that's a, probably the most interesting story in terms of surprises. We'll see how Minnesota really um, dives into the WFA scene. Yeah, and some other teams as well. So, like New York. New York might be a good team to watch yep. out for in the WFA making that transition. So, uh, a lot to look forward to here in the 2017 football season. And I, I want to thank our, our guests for joining us here on MyW Sports, Sports Monday, Oscar Lopez and Mark Simon. Uh, Oscar and Mark, can you just give our fans uh, your, your places where they can find you and, and support your, your causes as well? Absolutely. This is Mark. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Backseat Coach and on Facebook, Backseat Coach. Um, all one word, Backseat Coach. <laughs> and you can find our platform uh, at Gridiron Beauty on Twitter, Gridiron Beauties on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and pretty much we cover everything, like I said, cover globally the women's tackle football as, as well as non tackle football. And so we're basically the hub. And we were very proud of it. So come join us and you'd be excited to see what women are doing in terms of playing American football. Absolutely. Really a great pleasure to have Oscar and Mark joining us again. Uh, check out their sites and you could always find them uh, here on MyW Sports, Sports Monday in the upcoming season, or uh, we'll, we'll have some, some content from them on our site as well at MyWSports.com. So again, thank you, Oscar. Thank you, Mark. I uh, hope you have a great rest of the night and uh, we'll catch up very soon, guys. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Have a great uh, weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Oh, uh, Kyle, we we we've got to get we've got to get guests on this show more often, man. It's always know, it's right? always a refresher. It's always good when you have conversation and dialogue that you, you know, as a host, you just sit back and let you know, you just let it happen. Right. I mean, you have two people that right there that are are such experts of the sport and have been around it for so long that. Um, you know, they've seen the trends, they've seen the coming and goings, and, and even though we've had such a, a huge shakeup uh, between the leagues this, this past year, you know, they're right on top of it, and they, they're, they're seeing the future just the same. Absolutely. And it's really, like you said, it's, it's really incredible to see that there are so many fans out there. Um, just got to find them, you know, and, and put them in the stands, as they were saying, is, you know, once, once you get somebody in those stands, it's really hard for them not to get hooked. And to be honest, Kyle, that's, that's how it happened for me. You know, I, I went and started broadcasting women's athletics in college, and I realized, like, wow, there's, there's no difference here. This is just as exciting. This is just as awesome. Uh, and it's, it's, really, it's really great to see that there's, there's uh, forums out there and people out there who continue the mission that we have as well here at my w sport and and like you said it's a great product you know i went out and saw a few uh boston renegades games last year and and they play a great style of football and you know if you if you have nothing to do on a on a game day you know as oscar mentioned the tickets are cheap it's a great time it's uh it's fun entertainment for the whole family and and it's uh, something for, you know, all of our, our youth to look up to and see players playing that maybe didn't even, most likely didn't even play this sport, um, you know, in high school or college and now have taken it up as something that they do for fun, but they love it. Yeah, and you can read some of our features on MyWSports.com of some athletes who were track stars or basketball stars and then said, hey, uh, I was approached by a friend who was playing football and I loved it, and now they've been in the in the league for five, ten years, or, or as, as uh, Mark and Oscar mentioned, they're, they're getting close to retiring. So uh, incredible to see it and to see the growth of women's tackle football, and we're really excited to continue our coverage here on MyWSports uh, for the 2017 season. I know, Kyle, you're really excited for the WFA this year, right? Absolutely. I mean, when you talk about, you know, 67, 69 teams, um, you know, 31 games on slate for this upcoming weekend, um, you know, it's it's going to hit, it's going to start off with a bang and it's going to be, uh, you know, quite a few weeks of, of some awesome football. 
Absolutely. So let's do a quick good two minutes here. NWSL news, preseason games have gone underway. Teams' preseason schedules are on their respective websites, so go check them out and go catch a game before the season starts. And that will be on April 15th, that Saturday, four games on the docket. Uh, so get excited. From football to football, we are getting underway here on our, on our busy season at MyW Sports. WTA News, the Miami Open is taking place currently right now. Angelique Kerber is on fire. Watch out for her. She might make a finals appearance in this tournament. LPGA News, the Kia Classic happened this past weekend. Miriam Lee, she defeats the field by six strokes, a minus 20 on the day. She shot 65 on the final day of the tournament five americans finished in the top 15 up next for the lpga the first major championship of the season the anna inspirational the defending champ there lydia ko who's had quite quite a quiet start to 2017 no news in the mpf and uh w excuse me uwlx but we'll get you updates as those leagues get underway closer to june uh and WNBA action uh, starting in June as well, so we'll get you updates there. Um, Kyle, anything on your list that we missed from the past week? Um, yeah, so uh, Michaela Schiffrin was named last weekend. We weren't 100% sure because uh, votes still had or, – or not votes, sorry. Points still had to be finalized uh, as of press time last week when we chatted. Uh, but Michaela Schiffrin did, did go on to win her first overall – uh, World Cup championship um, with uh, also winning the slalom uh, championship this year as well, which is her uh, fourth overall uh, for for the slalom uh, discipline. All right, Michaela Schiffrin making a name for herself before the 2018 Olympics, um, and I've That's got right. Notre Dame, Notre 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 Dame, the Fighting Irish win the NCAA 2017 fencing national championship. So some things we missed there, Kyle, but uh, awesome news around sports and plenty more that we can discuss here on MyW Sports. But you can join us again next week. We'll keep you updated on all the crazy action that's happening from Final Four to uh, WTA tennis tournaments. We've got you covered here. And also next week, Kyle, you'll love this, we'll have football scores to talk about. So an exciting that's right. uh for, for next week. So, again, join us as we, uh, as we prep here for a very busy season on MyW Sports. Uh, for Kyle Westcott, Oscar Lopez, Mark Simon, I'm Louis Sanchez. We really appreciate you joining us here this Monday night on MyW Sports Radio. Follow us on social media as we bring you Motivational Monday, Top Player Tuesday, Women in History Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Friday favorites. If you have any ideas for these days on social media, please let us know. Visit us on MyWSports.com. And you can always make a donation at GoFundMe forward slash MyW Sports. Again, have a great rest of the week and join us next Monday for MyW Sports, Sports Monday here on MyW Sports Radio. Go South Carolina.